of Rimrock Downtown. Welcome to Rimrock Downtown's living room. You know, as we get started, I want to remind you of two things. First, it's spring. You know, I went for a walk today with my kids, and every single bush and tree we looked at, there was buds stemming. You know, life was lying all around us, both in the physical world and metaphorically in the spiritual. The second thing I want you to know, to remember, is that if you are a part of Rimrock Downtown, you are a part of a community, a group of individuals who love Jesus, who want to know more about the God of the Bible, and who want to come alongside one another to support and encourage each other. And so if this is who you are, if this is what you want, man, I encourage you to reach out to people in our community. I know things are different now, but that does not mean you cannot contact them. Right? And so I encourage you to do that. And there's one... 
uh, direct way that you can do this tomorrow morning at 10.15 if you want to do a little parade around the uh, nursing home um, with a bunch of other people for a Palm Sunday uh, in order to give the people in the nursing home a chance to see life outside their windows. Meet us down at the Black Hills Federal Credit Union parking lot on Mountain View at 10.15. Um, we'll space out, we'll fall in line with the CC, CDC's guidelines, all that stuff, but it's the type of thing where we can use our community to pour life into other people who have been locked away for a long time. You know, the second thing I want to tell you about our community is that we've had a bit of a change, a shift in leadership as of like three days ago. You know, Carrie Schmidt had been doing it for the last two and a half years and an incredible job, but a few months ago she felt like God was telling her to spend more time with her family. Um, so as of April 1st, Derek Unrein um, feels like God called him to take her position. Um, I'm so stoked about this. I had no clue that a man of this caliber would be called to this position, um, but he is going to be doing a lot of things for our church, but the main thing he's focusing in on is community and communication. So Derek's got a mic. I want to give him a chance just to uh, share a few of his thoughts. Hey, guys. Um, I'm excited to be here, and this is a great opportunity. I can definitely say that uh, my life looks much different today than it did a month ago, like a lot of you guys probably, but uh, I can definitely say I'm right where God wants me to be, and I'm excited to just jump in and begin to serve and help uh, alongside Evan and the staff and volunteers here. So um, yeah, look forward to meeting you guys and getting to know you better. Sweet. As we continue in worshiping God, let's pray. Uh, just wherever you're at, uh, God is right there in your midst. So just come alongside and pray with me. God, we come before you right now desiring what only you can bring. We live in a world of just unsettling sort of uncertainty, but you are solid and you give us a hope that will not be shaken. So we ask that you would pour that upon us right now, just all across the city, state, country, wherever we are at, God, we ask that you would bring your goodness. That's why we're here. So that way you can pour more of your goodness upon us. Make it happen. Amen.
guys. Uh, my name is Boomer Roland. I'm the family pastor at Rimrock, and uh, man, it's my privilege to be here tonight with Evan. Uh, we had fun last week, didn't we? That was a blast. Uh, so um, we're in the middle of this series uh, now, uh, kind of towards the front end, I guess, since last week was the first one, uh, Jesus in the Old Testament. And uh, for some of you guys, uh, for me for a long time, I would have been stumped by being able to see Jesus in the Old Testament. But once we begin to see um, how the Son of God was in the whole story from the very beginning all the way through, man, it, it, it gets to be really fun, doesn't it? Yeah, Just to I see the way agree. God shows up and, and the way that Jesus is a part of that whole 
uh, story. It's really, really cool. It's a bit of an eye-opener, isn't it? It is. It definitely is. And it makes uh, Scripture um, just, it makes the New Testament uh, so much more exciting when we see all that's built up to it. And it's not, Jesus doesn't just come on the scene in Matthew um, in the beginning of the New Testament, but he's been there the whole time, and then he's revealed, and it's really, really neat. So last week, we started this series talking about creation and talking about uh, the first sin and the, the consequence that came from that, that really um, um, kind of set history on a course. But God, even from chapter 3 in Genesis, has a plan. And so then from that point forward, he's working his plan. So tonight uh, we're talking about Jesus in the Old Testament, but we're, we're going to focus in on this, uh, on the story of Noah. And for some of you guys who have been in church for a long time, this is one of those stories that, you know, I mean, literally we have a mural of the ark and Noah on the wall in, in the church, right? So it, it's one of those stories that we talk about even with kids from a really, really young age. But uh, tonight, we're hoping to take a little, uh, a little more advanced course look at it. And really, it, it raises for us some really significant questions um, that has to do with how do we, um, the consequences of our sin, but how does God respond um, to us in the midst of our need, right? And so it's really amazing. We're going to jump right in. Um, if you've got your Bibles, uh, flip over to Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 5. Genesis chapter 6, look at verse 5, and here's what it says. The Lord saw uh, how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created, and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Well, that's like, that's a, that's an opening, right? And really that's, that's the beginning of this story. Um, We, we want to start there because it sets the stage that this is the trouble that the world had gotten themselves into. Um, it was lawless, it was um, wicked, it was corrupt, it was violent. Um, man had decided they were going to make their own choices for what was good and what was not good. And this is where it's led them. In, in just a few hundred years, this is where they've ended up. Uh, to the point where God says, I'm looking at everybody on earth and, and the whole thing is just messed up. Um, and, and so God, I think sometimes we think God is um, cold, like he's distant, he's disconnected. And yet, really in these verses, when it says that God's heart was deeply troubled, um, that, he, was, that he, he had regret, right? God was involved. And, and if we remember to the story, um, the way that the whole thing started, God created people to be in relationship with him. And yet, because of people's um, desire to, to create their own or to choose their own uh, definition of good and evil, yep. um, the, the relationship was completely broken. Yep. 
And, and so God's looking at all of these people that he's created, people that he loves. I mean, when he created each one, you know, in Psalms it says, I, I knit you in your mother's womb. Like, that's not just for the nice people. That's for everybody. When God creates, it's intimate. And he, he breathes that life into them. And he has great hope for them. And yet, um, this is where we found ourselves, that he looks in the whole world and... And the whole thing is wicked, and so he comes to the to the decision. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start over. I'm gonna wipe it all out, and I'll just repopulate with uh, with people that maybe I can have a relationship with. And so out of that, we begin to get this um, kind of contrasting view that God is holy, God is just, God is righteous, and yet juxtaposed to what mankind is like. Here we see mankind is wicked, it's corrupt, it's violent, right? Like, you can't think of very many other opposites. Like, there is no mixing of those two things, right? And that's where God is. And so sometimes we listen to this story, or if we're familiar with it, um, we forget that God is, um, God's justice and His righteousness made it right for him to punish the wicked, um, the, the wickedness of mankind. And we, we get some definition or um, some help with this as we read into the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans, as he's kind of laying the same kind of foundation for his audience that's reading that. And in, in Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 23, the first part of that verse I won't read the good news part of that verse, but the, the first part of the verse, because it helps us set the stage. It says, for the wages of sin is death. What is it that we earn from our sin, our disobedience? It's death, right? And it, it's not like, a, it's not an accumulative thing. It's, it, one is enough, right? Yeah, that's good. It, yeah, if you break the law once, you're a lawbreaker, Paul says, right? So, uh, so the wages of sin is death, and then he, hel he helps clarify that in case any of us um, want to think that it's a comparative statement between people. Um, Paul then in, in 3.23, Romans 3.23, says, but all have sinned and fallen short of that glorious standard of God, right? So we're all in the same boat, kind of, although... Given, yeah, given tonight's story, we're all outside of that same boat, right? I mean, we have things in common with this wicked generation that Noah was living in, right? And yet, what I love, and I didn't read at first, but we're going to put up on the screen now. Look at verse 8, Roman, uh, uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, and it says, but... You know, we talk about the big butts of the Bible, right? Sure. I mean, this is, a, this is a big one. God is saying, I'm going to start over. I'm going to wipe out every, every person and all of these land animals, all of that gone. But, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And when I read that, I, it, it does cause me to ask the question, like, why? Like, why Noah? right? What was it about him? Out of all of the people, why was it? What, what was different about this one guy? And we find out about that. You know, we, if, you, if you're looking in verse 9, I don't have it up on the screen, but we begin to see that Noah wasn't perfect, right? Noah wasn't perfect. 
For all have sinned, right? Romans 3.23. Noah wasn't perfect, but it was his righteousness that caused him to stand out, that caused him to be different, right? Uh, he was blameless. He walked with God. He obeyed God. He trusted God. Um, he put his faith in God, right? If you want to sum all of that up, Noah had a relationship with God, right? It was the one thing that God had created people for, is to have a relationship, that people could worship him and that he could be their God, that he could care for them and love them and have relationship. And out of the whole world, he found one guy that he had relationship with. It was Noah. So he decided in the, in the death sentence that he pronounced on the whole world, he decided that he was going to extend mercy to this one guy and his family, right? So Noah, uh, Noah alone. And I think what's interesting here, Evan, is that it's, Noah wasn't saved because of his acts of righteousness, right? Because there's nothing in the text that lists what did Noah do to find favor in the eyes of God. It was just his faith. Yep. It was just his faith. And we assume he was a normal individual, right? And we have all fallen short of God's glory. So right. therefore, there's no way that he could have lived a fully righteous life. Right. And so why do you think he got those taglines of blameless, righteous. Right. What do you think? It, I, well, it has to be because of the way that he lived his life in a, in a faithful kind of relationship with the Lord, yeah. right? I mean, it was, the, it was the difference. It was something that totally set him apart from everybody in his culture, yeah. everybody uh, in every culture of the world at that point. Yeah. Um, and he stood out. He was different, right? Absolutely. It wasn't, so it wasn't a comparative thing, though. It was that Noah found favor in the eyes of God. He had a relationship yep. with God through his faith. Absolutely. And if God isn't a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament, right? right. Like sp split, but he's a God of the Bible. Right. You look at Galatians 1, I think it's 16 or 17, for all um, are saved by grace yes. through faith. Yeah. And so his faith is what... That's brought right. him to that place of salvation. Yeah. So the same thing that saved Noah is the same thing that is available to save us. Absolutely. And it's really what we get to explore through the rest of the story. It's yeah. really good. But, you know, we get to this point in the story now where the, where the flood's going to come, right? Mm -hmm. and, and death and destruction, right? I mean, all of mankind except Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. So eight people yep. are saved. And sometimes we read that and we consider that, that massive destruction, and it, and it causes us to feel a little uneasy. I mean, what is it, Evan, do you think, why does, why does it bother us so much when God punishes sin? You just throw me softball. I know, I know. <laughs> Bringing me up for the easy questions. <laughs> so my thought um, my first reaction is it's based on perspective. Mm. Like we don't think it's right that God should yeah. do that. Um, but when I think about where we gain our perception from, our, our lens, it's through our own emotions and our own logic. Yeah. Um, that's how we decide what is good and what is not. <laughs> um, and so in that thought, if we're asking that question, if we're kind of wrestling, why would God do this? Yeah. Then we need to be viewing this through a different filter a filter of who God is and who we are. Mm -hmm. So just a moment thought here. So God is all-powerful. He created absolutely everything that we 
have ever known and will ever know. He is yep. the author and the sustainer of life. And he also stands outside of time. Right? It says that he's omnipresent. So past, present, and future are all one to him. And so he's not restricted in any way, shape, or yep. form based on where he's at in history. Right? And we also see that he is good. So yep. he ends his creation process stating that this is good, even very good. Yep. And so thinking about who God is and then think about who we are, how flawed and yep. temporary we are, how flawed and temporary our emotions yep. and logic are and how skewed we are locked into time. You know, we think we know everything that's going to happen, but we haven't a clue of what's going to happen in five seconds. Right. And so if, if and when you're considering this question, I think it's crucial to try to think through that lens of, all right, who is God and who am I? Yep. You know, and the second thing, this just comes to my mind, we have to consider it in biblical context. Like so often people just jump into these verses and say, man, look what God is doing. He's just full of damnation and wrath. But we are already seen, Boomer's already explaining, there's a lot more to Noah's story than yeah. just destruction. There's salvation. Yeah, it's kind of like when you come around the corner in the grocery store. Remember when we used to go to the grocery store and see people? Uh, the good <laughs> days. When you come around the corner in the grocery store and you see that parent just kind of losing it on their yep. kid and you kind of go wow bad parent right yep. but what you haven't seen are the hours that led up yeah, to that absolutely. and the the repeated warnings and the yep. and all of that right we just see this little glimpse and we want to jump to a conclusion that's a great analogy. and that's exactly what happens when we just flip open the bible and we go right mm -hmm. to the the action point right mm -hmm. and and if we don't take it in context we miss um, all that God's done up to that point. Absolutely. What's really cool is that that's, that's exactly what we're going to unpack tonight. Um, God's justice, this is a, a, a very cool thing about God. His justice can be completely full. God is just, period. And yet, God alone has the capacity to also extend mercy, Without setting aside his, ju his justice, he can show mercy. In fact, you know, we, see this, um, we see this so very, very clearly in the cross, right? That, I mean, that's, and there's, spoiler alert, right? That's the, that's the end game of Jesus' ministry, right? Is uh, God was able to fully punish sin and yet extend mercy to those who had sinned, Right? I mean, who else can do that? We can't do that, right? If we want to show mercy to someone, we usually, then we have to set aside or we have to overlook the offense and extend forgiveness or just let that go and, and give mercy. Or we pursue justice and, and we don't extend mercy. We, we don't have the capacity to do both. That shows up in the cross, though, and God does it here as well. So he's, he's punishing sin, and yet he's extending mercy to Noah and to his family. It's really crazy. Um, so, so we find out in the text, or we get a clue from the text. I won't say that I could say with 100% certainty that this is accurate, but Noah spent between 100 and 120 years building the ark. So God gives him all of the instructions. He, you know, he lays out the plan. He says, here's how big it's to be. Here's how wide it's to be. Here's how high it's to be. Here's how it's to be constructed. And it says that Noah um, 
obeyed everything that God said. He followed the instructions. But we get from Genesis 6-3 this clue that uh, he spent between 100 and 120 years building um, the ark. And Evan, I know that there are some people, here's another easy question for you. I know that there are some people that when they think about this universal flood, they struggle with believing that because one, one of the hurdles for them is how could all of those animals have actually fit into the ark? Certainly, surely this is metaphor or this is just a, you know, this is just a, a, a fairy tale. Um, you know, it's, so do you, is there anything that you can share that might kind of help us wrap our heads around how would that even be possible? Absolutely. No, you're just, making my nerdiness yeah, I, bristle with excitement. I know who I'm fun. sitting next to. And, and so that part of this series is this idea of apologetics, mm-hmm. of not just approaching the Bible with this idea of blind faith. And right. like, this is what my parents taught me, therefore it must be true. Yeah. But it's like, let's use our big brains in order to do research to figure out if this is really true or not. You know, and that's a great question that people often ask. There's, they wonder, like, how could it possibly fit all the animals? Mm. Um, but what's incredible, and this will come up on uh, Facebook li- link through Derek, but there's uh, a group of individuals that did some research looking at the size of the ark. And so God breaks it down, tells them 300 cubits by 50 cubits by uh, 30 cubits. And based on that space, they're able to figure out how many uh, square feet or cubic feet they would have, and they break it down to the amount of animals that would need to be in there, and they average out the size of those animals at a, a sheep, and it's really the average size of an animal on the human earth is a cat, but they just, in order to be safe, they go with a sheep. Yeah. But anyway, all this to say they figure out that only 56% of the ark was going to be used by animals. Mm. Only 56%. So that's 44% more for other things, other people, Another kind of, since you allowed me to go down this rabbit trail, another apologetic for the truth of this. You know, I was doing a little bit of research the other day, um, and in 2012, the foremost underwater archaeologist, he found Titanic back in the 80s, he went to the Black Sea, and he discovered a shoreline that was 400 feet underneath the current surface of the Black Sea. Hmm. And doing carbon dating on what they found, they're thinking around 5,000 B.C. was when this existed. Wow. And so a massive amount of water somehow came in and buried this civilization that was around Mm. similar time with Noah. Hmm. Right? I can keep going. There's over 200 stories from other uh, cultures about a massive flood. Right? I can give you statistics on how similar they are. 90% of them... um, 95% 95% say it's the flood was universal. 70% say the survival depended on a boat. Mm-hmm. Right? It goes on and on and on. Yep. And I'll give you one more. You guys might aren't, maybe aren't connecting with this, but with all of the School of Mind style engineers in this town, so modern day boat builders yep. believe that the ratio of six to one is the best ratio for a large seafaring vessel. Do a little math. <laughs> Right? Noah built a six to yeah. one ratio ship. Yeah. So it's just thing after thing after thing, logically, yeah. scientifically. God's kind of smart. Saying like, hey, yeah. I believe this actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for letting me run down that. Yeah, very, no. I, I'm going to throw get. you another one here in a minute. But, uh, but here's, the, here's the thing. Not only was uh, Noah building this ark for, you know, 120 years, 
But um, Peter, in, in his letter, in his second letter, 2 Peter 3, 5, this is what he says about Noah. He says, but God protected Noah. Here's how he describes him. But God protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. So Peter um, describes Noah not, not as a boat builder, but as a preacher of righteousness. And so we begin to get this picture that in these years that Noah was working on this project, he was also proclaiming to people, hey, uh, there's a big event that's coming, right? I mean, there's something serious that's coming. And, and you can't preach righteousness without also preaching repentance, right? Yeah, that's good. Because the, the, the culture was wicked. So he, you know, he's, he's preaching while he's building. And I, you know, I joked with Evan. I said, I, I don't think there was probably a lot of entertainment going on then. So it, it would have been like, there's this huge thing getting built, right? This huge ship. There's no water around. And here's this crazy guy and he's building, but he's also preaching. And he's saying that there's a day that's coming and it's coming soon. I don't think Noah knew when, um, but, he's, but he's finishing the project. And he's saying, you guys are running out of time. You've got to respond. You need to repent, right? Because God's, uh, because there's something big that's coming, right? Um, so it's reasonable for us to, to believe that people were hearing about um, this, uh, about what was coming, about the flood. And they may not have understood that, but, but they, it's reasonable to think that they heard about that. And Jesus then describes like what life was like right before the flood. In Matthew chapter 24, and the context of this is Jesus is making a comparison to when he comes again and how it's going to be a surprise for some people, right? And this is what he says. Jesus says, but about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son himself, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. I mean, so life was just going on. And what that indicates to me is that People, they may have heard this message, but they weren't believing it. They weren't responding to it. We know they didn't respond to it because there were only eight people in the boat, right? And so uh, people didn't respond, but they had years and years and years in order to respond. And what I love about the 56% being used for animals means that there was 44%, thank you for doing the math for me, for, for a food stockpile, but then for other people, that if someone had repented, if someone had responded, God had made a plan for that and would have included them, right? And I, I don't just say that because that's a feel-good kind of answer. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you fast forward and you look at, um, my favorite example is um, Rahab, and as the Israelites are coming in, and God says, I'm going to clear out the promised land for you. And here's Rahab, who's a Canaanite you know, woman, um, and she hears about God, and she responds. She puts her faith in God, and God actually makes the line of Jesus go right through Rahab. Yeah. 
you know, and so here's a woman who's outside of God's people, and yet God brings her in because of her faith, yeah. right? So that's the character. That's the nature of God, mm-hmm. is if people respond, then he, he brings them in because he wants relationship, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's pretty incredible. So life's going on as normal, and yet God extends mercy. He offers mercy to anyone who would respond. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other examples? I mentioned Rahab, but what are some yeah. other examples in the Old Testament about God giving a warning before bringing judgment? No, it's, it's a wonderful question because our desire is to figure out who is God, right? Yeah. His character trait. And so yeah. just like a one-time event really doesn't show you who a person is. That's right. Um, but you mentioned Rahab. Uh, another one that comes to my mind is the Exodus. Mm. If you read through the first 12 chapters of the book of Exodus, yeah. how many times does God send Moses before Pharaoh yeah. to free his people from enslavement 10 times that's right and each time the consequence of pharaoh's choice to reject god gets worse yeah you know it's almost like a father coming before his kid letting them know i want you to have what's good you need to listen to me in order for you to learn this i'm just going to make it a little bit harder each time yep and so in that just shows me god's patience and love for the most powerful ruler of the Mm -hmm. world that had no belief in who he was Mm -hmm. that was cruelly punishing his people Yep. And still, God granted him patience and wanted to grant him mercy. Yep. In fact, God would have left that, the, he would have left that civilization alone, right, yep. after his people were released, but they pursued. Yep. And so if you flip to the end of that it's story, true. right, and you just read, oh, look, God, you know, drowned the Egyptian army. Well, yeah, let's put it in context, yep. right? I mean, all of these chances yep. that God extended to say, just, just respond. Yep. And, and we're good, yep. right? It, it's amazing. It, it's, it's really crazy. So God provided a way out, not just for Noah, but also for all of mankind, right? All of uh, Noah's contemporaries had the chance to respond and to be saved. Now, what I love, because we're talking about Jesus in the Old Testament, is to then look at what is, I love it when the Bible sheds light on it interprets itself yeah. right and um and and so if we look ahead then at the way that peter um peter makes this comparison between the flood and um and salvation as it's presented in the new testament right yeah. as, as we see it kind of lived out in first peter chapter 3 uh, verse 18 here's what it says for christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and he made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is now at God's right hand with the angels and the authorities and the powers in submission to him. God waited what? Patiently. Patiently. Man, I mean, God waited and he waited mm-hmm. and he waited, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he had given Noah a big project, right? Yeah. And it took 100 years, 120 years. 
God waited patiently. That must have been why he had Noah build the boat, right? Because God <laughs> right. could have just plucked He could Noah have just done something, done right? But he wanted that That's right. time to take place so he could yeah. wait patiently for right. these people. Right. And so we see then Peter makes the parallel, right? That God, God waited for, for people to respond to him. And it's not any different for us today, mm. right? We, we've drawn those kind of parallels that um, in Noah's day, the, you know, people were defining for themselves good and evil. Yeah. And we see it in our culture today. People continue to want the same thing that Adam and Eve wanted in the garden. I want to define mm-hmm. what's good and what's evil. And, and we see it in our culture today. Yeah. And yet God continues to wait mm-hmm. patiently before bringing what he's promised that he's going to bring. What's that? Jesus Christ is coming back. And yeah. at that moment, our choices are done. We have until that moment to be able to choose, am I going to respond to God's offer of mercy and and salvation? And and at some point we won't have that choice anymore. Wow. You know? And so these are the days. These are our boat building days. For sure. Because you imagine that in order for that boat to float, the door had to be shut. Yeah. And so there was that moment where no one could get on board, even though the rain was coming. That's right. And you're saying the same thing. Like there comes that moment, right, when people have already chosen. Yep. And Jesus says that that's going to come at the same time. I mean, people were surprised. Oh, look, it's raining. Like that had never happened before. Like I don't know what's going on. I didn't think the wedding was going to get rained out. You know, that kind of thing, right? And then all of a sudden it starts raining. And maybe those who had heard are saying, oh, boy. Absolutely. or we don't know what's going on, but it's too late at that point. Yeah. God had already shut Noah in. People had already made their choice. Yeah. And we're in the boat building days now. Mm. We're, God is waiting patiently for people to respond. Yeah. Um, in Second Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 8, this is what it says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the, day, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day which means God has no, he's not bound by time. And so he can wait. And here's what he says. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Wow. So it's not, it's not like God's busy doing something else and he's forgotten. He's waiting, but he's waiting with purpose. He's waiting for us to respond. He wants us to respond. And and we shouldn't be confused. God will punish sin because he is just. Romans 6.23. Yeah, the day's coming, right? And it's justified. Mm -hmm. And yet he's given us this way out because Mm -hmm. he allowed his son to take the punishment. And then our response is to accept that gift, to mm-hmm. put our faith in Christ, to allow Christ to stand in our way, to yeah. take our place, yep. right? And, and, but without that kind of response, then God just allows us to pay for our own sin yep. um, through our own death. Yep. But it doesn't need to happen that way. God's provided the way out. Uh, as we kind of uh, land the plane with this message, Second uh, Peter chapter 3, it's these next couple of verses, uh, starting with verse 10. And it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. 
The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything uh, done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be, will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So the end is coming. There's, there is a day when the boat will be finished, when God is saying, your time's up. And this is the way that it's going to end. And yet, we are in the boat building years right now. God is giving you an opportunity to respond, to accept the gift that his son has paid for, to say, you don't have to pay your own price for sin. Christ has done that. But there's a response that has to happen, a repentance, a turning away from, uh, from your own de definition of what's good and what's evil and trusting Jesus to define what's good and what's evil. Mm. And so it, if you're listening tonight and, and you're looking at this, like, don't take my word for it, but spend time in God's word and begin reading it because God's extended this invitation to you. He's extended the invitation to you to respond, to repent, and in the midst of the repentance then to find peace and to find um, mercy and to find uh, hope for the future. Mm -hmm. But here's the other part of it. For those of you guys who are listening tonight and you're saying, dude, I'm in the boat. Well, we've got a responsibility in these boat building days, and that's to be a herald of the truth that other people might hear about the hope that we have in Christ. And so no matter who you are tonight, there's a response um, that's called for. And uh, even in this weird season that we're in, man, we can be a herald of hope, and we certainly can respond to the offer that Christ has extended to us. And let me pray for us tonight, and then we're going to continue to worship. God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this series. Um, I, I thank you for the way that you um, are so consistent. You are the same yesterday and today and forever. And Father, we, uh, we thank you for that. Thank you that you've extended um, the end, the judgment, giving us an opportunity to respond to you. Father, would you help us tonight um, to turn our hearts back to you, God, to repent of our sins and to respond to the offer that Christ has paid for and is inviting us into. God, I pray that the rest of us, those of us who are your children, Father, that you would help us to have the courage and the boldness to be heralds of hope, that we would share the message of truth and, and show people how they can respond to what Christ has done for them. We love you, and we continue to worship you tonight. Amen. Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. 
me out of darkness. You have filled me with peace. Father of mercy, you're mine in time of need. Lord, I can't help but sing. Yes, sir. 